Good morning, friends. My name's Steve, and I'll be bringing us the sermon reading, which is on the screen uh, behind me there. We're reading from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in need or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Thank you, Steve, and good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Darren. If, you've, if I've not met you yet, I typically attend this service, so I'm hopeful that I'm known to most of us. Uh, but if you are visiting with us, a very warm welcome this morning. Uh, this morning, we're continuing our series on habits that help us grow. Pete opened our series by reminding us how we can grow spiritually, be fruitful in our service to God. He encouraged us to grow in our knowledge and love of God through Bible reading, through prayer and through fellowship. Last week, Murray then helped us to consider the significance of words, the words we consume through reading, listening and watching, and the words we express when we speak or write or post online. This morning, we're going to bring our attention to the attitude of our heart. So as we do, please join me as we ask God to speak to us through his word and through my words this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together this morning and for your promise to be with us when we gather. Lord, we ask that as we open your word, it will penetrate our hearts and make us more like your son. Amen. There once was a farmer who was working in his field. His field was adjacent to a main road between two towns. Travellers would frequently pass by the field and stop to say hello. One day a traveller stopped and asked, what is the next town like? Rather than answering the man's question, the farmer replied with his own. What was the previous town like? The traveller lamented. It was terrible. The people argued with me. The food was bland. The hotels were expensive. And the people were far from friendly. The farmer then answered the traveller's question. 
I think you'll find the next town to be much the same. The next day, another traveller, heading in the same direction as the previous, asked a similar question. What is the next town like? The farmer responded again with his same question. What was the previous town like? The traveller replied, it was wonderful. The people were so diverse and interesting. The food was like nothing I've ever had before. And the people were warm and friendly. The farmer then answered the traveller's question. I think you'll find the next town to be much the same. Whilst I'm sure this is a fabricated story, it does bring into sharp focus the significant influence of our attitude on our perception and experience of the world. Importantly, our attitude or the posture of our heart also colours our perception of God and our relationship with him. God created us to be in with relationship with him. He wants for us what he experiences in the Trinity. That perfect, loving relationship, total fulfilment, total contentment. But because of our sinfulness, this is not what we experience. When God created Adam and Eve in the beginning, he provided the perfect environment for them to live. They had all they could possibly need. In Genesis 1.31, it says God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God was pleased with people and the world in which he had placed them. But in the abundance that surrounded them, Adam and Eve were drawn to the one thing God asked them to refrain from. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It wasn't that they were in need. It was simply that they wanted something they shouldn't have. The consequences of eating from the tree were clear and severe. But they were not content with the abundance surrounding them. They wanted more. They decided that what God had provided was insufficient. Their discontent was not originating from any physical, spiritual or emotional deficit. It was simply a matter of the heart. The Bible uses the term heart to signify the centre of our being, the centre of who we are, the driver, the motivator of our action or inaction. It is our mind, our will, our emotions. Proverbs 4.23 says that above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Love comes from it, but so too does evil. Grief and joy, anger, forgiveness, discontent and gratitude, they all originate from the heart. So just as was the case for Adam and Eve, contentment is a posture of the heart or a position of the heart. The decisions we make moment to moment, regardless of our circumstances. But the Bible is clear the natural tendency of our hearts is sinful. So being grateful or being content is not something that comes naturally. 
I think we can all attest to that. Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Our hearts are broken, not in a romantic, lovesick way, but in a spiritual sense. They are sick with sin. Sometimes we can attempt to cover up the true condition of our hearts with words and deeds, but eventually the truth becomes apparent. Just like an unhealthy car engine is indiscernible whilst the car is parked, but as soon as it starts, the problems are obvious. In Luke 6, verse 45, Jesus uses the analogy of the fruit trees to describe the influence of the heart on our behaviour. He says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This side of the cross, we now know that God has provided the cure. He invites us to place our faith in Christ, believing in his life, death and resurrection. It is our faith in him, nothing more and nothing less, that reconciles our relationship with God. But we don't experience complete healing here and now. Continue to live with a broken heart. And in this broken state, our heart's desires quickly lead to idolatry, forsaking of God's provisions and promises in pursuit of worldly possessions and pleasures. We are quickly distracted. Our discontent often emanates not from a genuine need, but rather from a worldly desire for something other than a relationship with God and telling others about him. It often originates from a failure to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Our eyes stray to those around us and our hearts are captivated by their circumstances, by their things. This discontent steals our joy it steals our optimism and it steals our confidence in Jesus' sufficiency. And just as it had devastating effects on Adam and Eve, it has the same terrible impact on us today. But when the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians and ultimately to us, he is careful to make a clear distinction between need and discontent. Any discontent we feel must be rightly directed. Discontent with our own sinfulness or a discontent with the injustices we see in the world around us are most appropriate because this discontent stirs us to prayer, stirs us to action. But nor is he suggesting that we should want for nothing. It is not that the hungry should not desire food or that the thirsty should not desire drink, but that we seek to adopt a posture of thankfulness in each of these circumstances. Contentment is about being grateful regardless of circumstance. It's about seeing the glass half full rather than half empty. Philippians 4.6 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, 
present your requests to God. Paul acknowledges that in this life on earth, we will have legitimate needs, some physical, some spiritual, and that we should not withhold these requests from God, but we are to bring them to him with a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. If we do so, we'll not be rebuked. The very next verse describes the blessing that comes from bringing our requests with thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In verse 11, the Apostle Paul goes on to say that contentment can be learned. He says, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. And then he goes on to explain, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. But just rolling up our sleeves and determining to do better is not going to suffice. The Bible is clear that drawing in our own strength is inadequate. In Jeremiah 17, verse 5, God makes it very clear to us. He says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Just as our salvation is solely dependent on the saving work of Jesus, so too our contentment comes through our own, does not come through our own effort, but a dependency on the grace of God. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Not I can do anything or I can do everything, but I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. It is God's provision and his grace upon which we can be truly content. So whilst true contentment is a gift from God, he has given us agency to form habits that glorify him. Habits are practices, or can be practices, that are very intentionally developed. But they can also sneak up on us and be incredibly difficult to kick like me, I'm confident that you could list several bad habits, several bad habits you know that you have. And to my own uh, uh, shame, I can often name others more than I can name my own. Some of them may be sinful habits that have plagued us for many years. Contentment is a gracious gift of God, but it's also the result of curated habits. Therefore, we have an important role to play in our own growth. Here are just a few practical ways we can pursue contentment. Growing in your love and knowledge of Jesus. Bringing our relationship to the top of our to-do list is one way of growing in our love and knowledge of God. By making Jesus and Christ-likeness the primary focus of our efforts, we will grow in our appreciation of God's grace and his provision. The habits Pete spoke of last week of Bible reading, Bible study, scripture memorization and prayer will bring God to the centre of your life and into first place in all that you do. The Apostle Paul reminds us to fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We can only do this if we make him the focus of every day. Number two, align your desires with God's. This leads on nicely from the previous. A deeper knowledge of Jesus allows us to be attuned to his desire and his desires for us and for his people. We must be careful to discern carefully, very carefully, and not just assume that God's desires are the same as ours. Psalm 37, 4 says, Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But in Romans 1, 24, as a consequence of their idolatry, God gave the Israelites over to the desires of their hearts. A careful distinction must be made. It is therefore not when the desires of our heart are satisfied that we will be content, but it is when our desires align with our Heavenly Father's. Given the sinfulness of our hearts, we must seek God's heart, his desires, and align ourselves with them. Number three, practice being others-oriented. When we focus our attention on the needs of others, we're often far more grateful for our personal circumstances. Verse 10 of chapter 4 says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. The Apostle Paul's primary interest was not that he was being cared for, but that his brothers and sisters in Christ had the opportunity to demonstrate their concern for him and to be generous with what they had. Generosity and empathy grow contentment. Number four. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. The Apostle Paul reminds many of his readers to adopt an attitude of thankfulness. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Ephesians 5, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He instructs the Colossians in chapter 3. Some ways you might be intentional about being thankful could be pause to pause at the end of the day and journal all the things you are thankful for. Just write them down. Maybe as you give thanks for your meal at the end of the day, you can reflect on all of the other things in the day that you are thankful for. Sometimes as a family, we'll go around the table at dinner time and share one good thing that happened today. There are many ways in which we can be intentional about being thankful. Maybe share with others at morning tea this morning how you express your thanks. Number five. Prioritise matters of eternal significance. By focusing on matters that have eternal significance, like the spreading of the good news of the gospel, like the salvation of others, we are empowered to view things from God's perspective. The earthly possessions, status and power that vie for our attention and cause us to feel dissatisfied with our lot in life lose their lustre 
in the light of heavenly treasures God offers. Do not not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Contentment is a matter of the heart. For us to express true contentment, our hearts need to be renewed by the saving grace of our Lord and Saviour. But we are to be active agents in becoming more like him. And as we grow in the knowledge and love of God, we will be, he will fill us with a gratitude that allows us to sing with King David, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me.